last week I started out talking about uh, wisdom, what is it? And I suggested that the answer was quite a simple one, that it was barracking for the Richmond Tigers. So this week... (laughs) There you are, Jeffy. This week I thought I would go on and our next talk is about wisdom, how to get it. So I thought it was appropriate to bring the bag so that I could find the answers in the bag. Last week, we mentioned that the book of Proverbs is set up in a way that it's like a parent and a child, or the language is a father and a son, sitting on a couch, talking about what life is really like, and the child learning about what wisdom actually is. I invite you again today and again next week to come and sit on the couch for a little while and learn what wisdom is and today how to get it. And next week we'll look at how to actually live it. Where is it to be found? Imagine if you were applying for two jobs. Now, both jobs look really good to you. It's not a moral decision. Neither of them are morally corrupt. Both jobs you have the right skill set for. Now, you go and you get one of the jobs. You choose one of those jobs. And a couple of years later, you find it's just not the right fit. And you've wasted, potentially, your time and money your employer's time and money and your colleagues and potentially your family. Wisdom is about helping you to make those kind of decisions. Because, if we like, about 80% of the decisions and the choices that we make are not moral choices. They're not about right and wrong. They're everyday decisions. And we make a number of them every day. So where is it to be found? We're reading from Proverbs chapter 3 today. In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6 it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Here we have a metaphor for life, a path. Now, it's not only here in Proverbs, it's throughout the Bible, this metaphor of life being a path. And what does that mean? It means that we need to move down that pathway. It's a journey. And we take it a step at a time. We walk that pathway. Even the fittest athletes in the world can walk further than they can run. We walk step by step down that pathway. That is what life is. And wisdom is making those decisions step by step. And it's in those decisions. What am I going to wear today? 
should I go here or should I go there? It's in making those decisions, those small decisions that build our character. And as we build our character and we build wisdom into our lives, we then are equipped to make those bigger decisions that might be of the scope, what job should I take when I have two on offer that are perfectly good? What university course should I choose if I'm offered two that seem really, really good? But here we see the paradox of wisdom. Because back in chapter 2 of Proverbs, we are told to pursue wisdom. And walking the path is our way of pursuing wisdom. But the second part of the verse says, He will make your path straight. As we talked about last week, wisdom is also a character attribute of God. And interestingly, it's cast in the book of Proverbs and in other places in the feminine. Wisdom is both something that we are to pursue and it is also a character of God, an attribute of God. So that as we walk on that path, as we make those decisions, as we live life, God works with us and God makes our paths straight, guides us by offering us wisdom. We both pursue it and we receive it as a gift. That's where it's to be found. But what are, I would suggest, there are four vehicles for wisdom that we read about in Proverbs chapter 3. The first one is, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The latter part, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, is similar to God's commands to the Israelite people in the book of Deuteronomy talking about living with his rules, his word, every day. So it follows on from that idea that wisdom is that path that we are walking down. It's about the decisions we make every day. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. We can perhaps take that a little bit like we might have taken the definition that we spoke about last week. Competence with regard to the realities or the way life really works. And I suggested last week that maybe we latch on to the word competence because we like to be competent. We like to be seen as competent. Here, we might think, if I show love and faithfulness, then I'm on the journey to wisdom. But again, we see something of a paradox because the words there in the original language are related to this big relationship with God, his incredible, outrageous love for us. 
which we call the covenant. It's a relationship that he built with the Israelites in the Old Testament and that he fulfills that love relationship by sending Jesus to die for us upon the cross. It's saying, do not push that aside. Do not reject that. Do not ignore that. But know that deep within you how much God loves you, how precious you are, how outrageous that love is. The second vehicle is trusting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now this idea of trusting has teeth. Because we can say, I believe in God, but our ultimate trust, our ultimate love is in a different area. We can say, I believe in God, but put our trust, our heart in pursuing something else. It might be our career. We want to get significance from what we can achieve in our career, in our work life. It might be our family. I know there are many times that I need to stop myself because I go to watch Owen play basketball and I get so involved in the game, so involved in what he's doing or not doing. And in my better moments, when I stop and reflect, I realise... I'm doing that because I need him to succeed so that I look better as a parent. Or if he gets a message from school sent to us that he's done something wrong, I'm deflated because I take it as a personal message of my parenting. Because my trust is in him to achieve, to make me look good. Or maybe our trust is in our wealth, in what we can buy, what we can do with our money. And that is what we ultimately look to. There's some times where I need to think, how much do I get so captivated by the Tigers, particularly over the last couple of years when they've had some success? And how much is that giving me courage, strength, purpose, as opposed to God? Or maybe it's our appearance. Maybe we're blessed with beauty, with strength, or we work on our bodies to try and make them look good because we want people to say to us, you look great, gee, you look fit, gee, you look strong, gee, you're gorgeous, you're beautiful. Because that gives us a sense of meaning and purpose. But here it says, no, put your trust 100% in God. All your heart. What are you trusting? 
The third vehicle. In all your ways, acknowledge God. What this is saying here is that everything that is a part of your life, acknowledge its source and its pathway. It's saying, immerse yourself in the story that is God's story. Because the story we live out of will define, will explain the way that we define events that happen to us in our life and decisions that we make. For instance, Alistair McIntyre, he's a a Catholic theologian, a scholar, and he wrote a story one time. He talked about there was a man waiting at a bus stop and another man came up to the bus stop And he said to him, the Latin name for the common wheel duck is Historicus, Historicus, Historicus. What on earth does that mean? How do we understand what's going on there? The first might be that we think that this man that's come to the bus stop is mad. And we interpret that story in that way and then we respond to that man in that way and we feel sorry for him. We feel compassion for him. We think he needs some help. He's mad. Or another way that perhaps that story could be understood is that that man was a couple of days ago doing some research on the Commonwealth duck in the library And he came across an incredible discovery around this idea of historicus, historicus, historicus. And the library was dark, and it's kind of dark at the bus stop. And he's misunderstood or misworked out who you were and thought that you were maybe the librarian. So he wants to come up to you and share with you his understanding from his research. So it's a case of mistaken identity. And perhaps then we can say, look, I'm sorry, I'm not the librarian. I think you've mistaken me for someone else. Or a third way, and I'm sure there's plenty more, a third way that we could understand this story is that the man coming up to the bus stop is a spy. And he's come to you And he has thought that you were his contact. So he's given you the code. Probably a little less likely, but it could be, couldn't it? You see, the point is, the story that we put our lives into is the story that defines what we think and do and experience. For instance, how do we use our money? If we were located in a story that says, this is all there is to do, this life is all there is. Therefore, how am I going to use my money? I'm going to spend and I'm going to spend up big. I might give a lot away because I think other people need some help, but probably I would be thinking about me I've got only so many years 
I've got to spend because there's nothing else about life. This is all I've got. I've got to enjoy it. Or we might place ourselves in the story that we read about in the Bible that is still acting out today and say, hey, now there's two things wrong with that. One is that everything we have is a gift from God. So my money is a gift from God. I want to share it for the gift that it is. I want to use it well. But also, this is very, 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 very minor, this life in comparison to eternity, to joy and wonder and amazement with our wonderful God. And that I want to invest in that and not blow everything now. The story that we put ourselves in will define how we understand that which happens to us will guide the decisions that we make. Can I encourage you to locate yourself in the biblical story? A third vehicle, be not wise in your own eyes. Sorry, a fourth one. Can't count today. Here we learn that another, the fourth vehicle of wisdom is community. To live in community. To move and breathe and exist in community. You see, from here... My perspective, I can see this room in a certain way. In a certain way that is different to all of you. Because I'm looking this way. All of you can see this, world, this room in a different way. Some people at the back can see a lot more of what's going on in front of them. To give a full description of what is happening in this room now... We would need each other and I would need to acquire, uh, compile all of your perspectives and then we get a fuller sense of what is happening here. It's like the idea of a car accident at an intersection and you've got four people sitting, standing on the four corners of the intersection. They're all going to see it differently. Are they seeing it wrongly and rightly? Or are they all seeing some different perspectives? And when you get all four perspectives, you get a fuller picture of it. Like we have the four stories of Jesus' life in the New Testament in the Bible. And they are told in four different ways. And they give us a richer, fuller understanding of who God is. Who Jesus is. We need each other. We need to be able to be accountable to each other, to say, this is how I am working towards knowing God, knowing his amazing, awesome, ridiculous love. This is how I'm trusting God. This is how I'm submitting my life to the biblical story. As we work together, as we share together, we grow. So the four vehicles. But then we come to a spark. 
a catalyst that turbocharges those four vehicles, fuels those four vehicles, transforms them to, if you like, ten times their power and influence. And what is that? My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves those whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Why is that there? Why is this at the end of all these other comments? If we look back through, these are the eight verses that come before that, which I've been talking about. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. If you look, in the black of each couple of verses is, if you do this, and then the purple is, you will be blessed in this way. You will have length of days, years of life and peace. You'll have favour, you'll have good success. He will make our paths straight. There will be healing for our flesh and refreshment to our bones. It seems to be saying, if you do this, this will be the outcome. If you do this, this will be the outcome. It's sort of saying, life can go well for you. But you see, that's not the whole story, is it? That's not how life really works. Because suffering is a part of life. If we say and stop there and say that is how life really works, then we are being a fool because we are not accepting the reality of what life really is. For how do I discipline and why do I discipline Owen? I discipline him, I take things away from him in some form of punishment, something that he enjoys and that causes pain and suffering for him. I might give him time out, I might do something. When I discipline Owen, when we discipline our children, we're causing them pain and suffering because they're not doing what they want to be doing. Do I do it? Because there's something wrong with me and I like inflicting pain? No, and not at all. I do it because I know that Owen will grow to be a better, wiser person because of that discipline. God... Allows, if you like, if that is the right word, us. No, I don't want to use that word. We suffer, that is a reality of life. But what we need to know is that in the midst of that, God delights in us. I delight in Owen. It is because I delight in Owen, because I love Owen that I discipline him.
So suffering is a reality of life. But suffering isn't, on its own, the spark that turbocharges those four vehicles. Because the way we react to suffering can lead us away from wisdom. The spark, rather, is how God responds to us. So, for instance, we can respond, perhaps, in three different ways to suffering. We can respond with pride. Say, oh, look at me, how much I've suffered, how much I've endured, aren't I fantastic? And I admit that over the 25 years that I've had chronic fatigue, that has been something that I have done. I have been full of pride at different times because lying there on my bed unable to do things is very deflating. But if I can share with someone how much I'm suffering and they offer me sympathy and love and encouragement, then that gets me a little bit of a spark and helps me to feel a little bit better. I can take pride in my suffering. That isn't leading me to wisdom. Or I can take the cowardice approach. That the suffering can get so overwhelming that I become totally kind of incapacitated and just stop and don't do anything. And I have found that at times where I have kind of curled up into the fetal position in bed in the morning and it's all just too overwhelming to get out of that bed and face life for the day, to take those steps along that pathway. Or maybe we can respond to suffering with bitterness. Why me? Why Am I suffering? I don't deserve this. And again, I have asked that question many times. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to us? Why? It's not fair. Thankfully, we don't worship a God who is fair but a God who is loving and just. So what is the spark? The spark is our response. How do we respond to the reality that life is full of suffering? This world is broken. Pain is a part of life. Things are not as they should be. The reality of living this side of heaven, if you like, we can use that language, is suffering. 
So we look to Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament and we see these same words picked up here. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, excuse the language of father and son, but in that culture, it was the son that would inherit the father's wealth not the daughters. But we can understand that this could be a mother speaking to her daughter, a father speaking to his daughter, a mother speaking to her son. But here we see that, different to Proverbs, it's picking up that God, the Lord, will do that disciplining. You see, it's similar, but much, much better than my discipline of Owen. As I said before, I delight in Owen, and that is why I discipline him. God delights in you. That is the spark. To know at the core of your being that God delights in you will guide your response to suffering, will turbocharge your knowing, your trusting, your submitting and your life in community. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. God so loved and loves each of us that he endured the cross with joy. For the joy set before him. What is that joy? Throughout the four stories of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Whenever Jesus refers to God, he always refers to God as Father. He always refers to God as Father. Except here. Why is that? Because it's at this moment, when Jesus dies upon the cross, that he sacrifices his sonship with joy, so that you and I may be welcomed as sons and daughters of God. That is the truth. That is the spark. Jesus gave up his life, took the suffering of all of us, the punishment that we deserve at that moment and sacrificed it all with joy so that you and I can be welcomed as sons and daughters 
of God. I'm going to ask the band to come up again now. And what I want to do is I want to challenge you. Like these are words. I've spoken a lot of words and hopefully some of those words have connected with you and hopefully God has communicated something to you. Can I encourage you? And I didn't say it at the start, but there are little sheets of paper on the seats around that you could take notes from what I've said. Quickly recap. (laughs) But at the bottom of that sheet, it says, what's one thing that stood out for you today? What's one thing that God has communicated to you today? And make a choice on how you might embed that in your life. But then I also want to encourage you that NCR is here to facilitate that path, journey, walk. To facilitate your growth this year in knowing God's story, in knowing God's love for you, in trusting, in putting God as your priority and in living in community. And here are some suggestions of ways that maybe you can do that, that you can be involved in that. And can I encourage you, I think I've said at the bottom of that sheet to maybe choose two or three of them. Can you keep yourself accountable to that? Choose two or three of these that you can engage with this year so that you are journeying in community with others this pathway and maximizing your growth on the journey to wisdom. And remember that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was at that moment that he took all of your pain and suffering and punishment unto himself that you may be called sons and daughters of God.